happiness comes from the achievement of one's values. And values are the things you find meaning in. Passion or do whatever works. I think it's a false dichotomy. How do you think one can achieve psychological safety with their team, given that they're going to be dealing with multiple emotions and people with different personalities? That's a loaded question. So first you want to create an environment that is predictable. On the other hand, we're not animals. So I think that if you're optimizing for full predictability and safety, life, your life is going to be boring. So who do you hire? You hire the people that find meaning in what you do. When I interview someone, I really don't care about their resume. It's like, why are you here? What's interesting about this job to you? Have, how much have you learned about this company and what, we, we're, what we're about? Because when you put like-minded people and driven people in a team, right? Like someone, everyone's going to be driven and everyone is striving to get the, get the ball moving. There's another thing that I've learned in the Silicon Valley called bias to action, which is don't get stuck in your head. When you have a question you don't know how to answer, you need to act because you'll you'll find that sometimes you're asking the wrong question. First, you spoke about concepts, right? Um, and second, you spoke about emotions, right? Both of these things, I feel like, play a very huge role um, when it comes to people management. And who better to ask about people management? It's, it's great that you've co connected those uh, concepts together, management and understanding concepts and emotions. Part of managing people is understanding that people uh, what they want after you met their physical needs, right? The kind of the Maslow hierarchy. They are pursuing values. They want to see themselves effective and efficacious in pursuing things that they find meaning in. Welcome, welcome everyone. This is a major and huge episode for the EITF project. In this episode, our conversation with our expert takes us on a journey of discovering life, values, careers, and achievements. Our expert for this episode is Tal Sifani, the CEO and president of the Ayn Rand Institute. Tal started his career with a project that he started when he was exploring his options for a career after his time with the Israeli army. He started out by teaching and training some students to take the SATs. He says in his interview that his first job as the CEO of Kidum was born out of passion to work with people. Tal eventually moved on to a long and illustrious career at Amdocs for over 11 years, holding multiple positions, including Director of Amdocs Learning Services, Director of Sales Engineering, Revenue Management Head of Sales, and VP of CBE Mobility and Home Solutions. An amazing career journey, and we are not done yet. Tal spent the next seven years at Base CRM as a board member and as a chief customer officer. And at MuleSoft, he was the vice president of customer success. So notice anything here interesting? So Tal discovered early on his love of working with people and his career decisions have always taken this into account. And here comes the interesting part. After spending all this time in tech, he made a change and an amazing one. He co-founded the Ayn Rand Center in Israel. And 10 years after co-founding the Ayn Rand Center, he became the president and the CEO of the Ayn Rand Institute. So ARI, as it's called, fosters a growing awareness, understanding, and acceptance of the Ayn Rand philosophy, primarily focused around objectivism. Tal also has a wonderful podcast called The Happiest Man Alive. We were lucky to be in the audience at Ocon. We also got an experience to be part of Tal's happiness workshop a tool that he has developed as part of his endeavor to identify the key ingredients to success. Let's talk about the interview. This was an astounding and eye-opening interview for us. 
we cover topics that got us thinking at a very deep level. What are values? How do you achieve happiness? What is objectivism? How do you bring it into the workplace? As a manager, how can you manage people, their emotions, all the while creating a psychologically safe environment? Amazing topics, right? Watch the interview for Tal's amazing answers. And as always, let us know what you think in the comments. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the EITF project. Karthik and I are very, very excited for this episode. Uh, we have Tal Sifani joining us for this episode. And we've learned so much from him. And I think you guys are going to learn so much. It's going to change the way that you think about things. And that's, that's a lot to say. Um, so you'll find out soon enough. Uh, welcome to the show, Tal. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to start with the first question, right? Um, I was looking through your bio and everything that you've done so far. You've had a very illustrious tech career, like we just explained. You've been in customer success. You've been business building. You've been in engineering. You've been in sales and marketing. And uh, now you're working with the uh, ARI, the Ayn Rand Institute. You have your own podcast, The Happiest Man Alive podcast, uh, which is great. I listened to a couple of episodes. You know, you have so much going for you, um, but we're going to like, you know, zoom right back to your first job, right? That's where everything starts. That's where your career starts. So we'd like to know what was your first job first to begin with. Um, sometimes it's not what everybody posts on LinkedIn. So it's very small, small things here and there that you start with. So what was your first job and what was what were the learnings that you took from your first job that you carry with you till today? I had two first jobs. I worked in two different jobs at the same time. So I, after the army in Israel, I, that's where I, I was born. Uh, you have to go to the army. So I, uh, I tried being a pilot and I was not really interested in being a pilot. So I didn't want to sign the seven year contract with the army. Anyway, after the army, I just wanted to go. Just I didn't want to work. I didn't want to think about work. So I did like a six, seven month tour, Far East, Africa. It was just wonderful. And when I came back, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, so I did two things. One, I took the psychometric exam, the SATs, and I started working in a restaurant. I, I got a really high score. So I, I got somebody called me and said, hey, you got such a high score. Do you want to be an SAT tutor? And I said, yeah, why not? They pay really well. Uh, so I was both a shift manager in a restaurant dealing with people and a mess, you know, and the waitresses and the cooks and everything. And at the afternoon, I was like a teacher for four hours. I would teach people how to take the SAT. Uh, so I love that. I worked really, really hard for a couple of years. And then the SAT prep thing got bigger and bigger. And they asked me to open a, a branch for this company that I was working for. So I was either, should I go to college and start, you know, college or, but I, I was really interested in that job. And so I started with two instructors. And by the time I started college at 24, by the way, pretty late, uh, I was hiring dozens and dozens of people, learning how to run the business. Nobody really taught me anything. I was just going with like what made sense. Started selling courses of SATs to high schools and municipalities and, and so on and so forth. And then I went to college and I, all my years in college, I continued to work and develop a business uh, I, I went to 120 instructors in my branch. I actually basically hired all my friends. Anyone who wanted, who, you know, who could teach, I hired them to teach. I'll say another thing that was really interesting about my, the early career. I learned how to use time efficiently. So I would show up to classes. So I, do, I, do I go business, develop the business or do I go to the class in the morning? What should I do? What should I do? So I, I go to the class. It's like I'm sitting here. I'm just writing what, what the teacher is saying. Everybody else is writing it. Why don't I just go sell a course or go manage my or grow my business and then come back in the evening and just read? And it won't take me two hours. It will take me 15 minutes, right? Yeah. So I didn't show up to every, uh, you know, to the courses. And I, another thing I started doing is I started taking final exams in the middle of the semester where I didn't know anything. So I would fail miserably but I took all the previous exams. By the time the semester was done, I was ready to take the exam. So I, you know, I graduated cum laude, you know, and, and people are like, how come you, we haven't seen you in the, in the course, you know, it's like I was learning in the evening in a 
So squeezing time, being more efficient, those were really tough four years of engineering, learning engineering while managing and growing a company. Uh, so that was my, it was the, the early start of my career. I think this is, was a really good foundation for me. And from there, things evolved. Wow. I mean, uh, learning engineering and trying to manage a business, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> it was, it was uh, tough, yeah. I, I, I didn't sleep much in those four years. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Kartik and I can think about our engineering days back, back then where we were hustling quite a bit, but we, we can't even imagine building something like even EITF. There were a couple of parts of your answers that I wanted to pick up on for, for, for my next question. One of the things that you said is when you came back from the army, right, you didn't know what to do and you were really thinking about what to do when a few things kind of fell into your lap, right? Mm -hmm. For Karthik and I, for sure, I'm, 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 and I'm sure a lot of our audience members can relate as well. It's kind of the way that you go through life, like, you know, you finish your bachelor's, you finish your master's, and then, and then you're open to, you know, job opportunities, but then you pick the first one that falls in your lap, right? So from there... Um, sometimes the first job shapes your career going forward, but I'm sure like, you know, when you're studying, you have an idea of what your career, what you would want your career to look like, right? So how do you, first of all, mold your career to look like the way that you wanted to, wanted it to, but in general, how do you know what, how do you figure out what you want to do? I know yeah. I've had this problem all the time. And to add to that, how important is it to go with the flow? Because not everything that you pre-plan is going to happen. So I think it goes back to the ultimate question, passion or what, you know, something that works or pay the bills or go with the flow. You know, I think it's a very important question because it goes down to the bottom of why are we doing all of this? What is the, you know, optimization parameter here? You know, so I usually when I speak about happiness, I do F of life equals h which is happiness now what is h because in order to to max or sorry max like you know max for f right you need to max f uh, so what is happiness and what are we actually trying to achieve here because if it's just safety and financial security there are many ways to achieve for me that is a very basic level of living as a human right oh i got food i got you know a shelter Good. That, that is a very, I would say, can't complain life, I call it. People that live uh, and they find themselves in the middle, middle of their lives with a midlife crisis because it's like, it's not really exciting. So you're looking back to your history and seeing yourself in the middle of life, projecting it to the end of your life and saying, if that's what's going to be like, I'm, I'm getting depressed. <laughs> so passion or do whatever works. I think it's a false dichotomy. Because when we talk about following your passion, what comes with that implicitly is whim, We're being whimsical. Oh, I love singing. I love, you know, I, I want to be a screenwriter. I want to be an actor. I want to be an opera singer. I want to be whatever. I want to be a podcaster. And on the other hand, oh, this is going to fall on its face, right? When your mother and father's like, come on, grow yeah. up, do something that works, make money and so on. So it's, it's whimsical, right? The passion side. And the other side is duty, which means do whatever works. We don't care about what you love. Uh, do, you know, optimize for money, for success, for prestige, whatever that is. Both are wrong because we are a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, the way I would look at it is happiness comes from the achievement of one's values. And values are the things you find meaning in. So the formula is you have to find something that you find meaning in you, not anyone else, not your mother, not your father, not your anyone else. And then in a way, pave a path into something and the passion will evolve around it because you're leading with what you find meaning in. So it's not whimsical. For instance, the first thing I would ask myself as a young person, do I like to work with people or by myself? A very big, broad stroke question. I love people. I get bored by myself. You know, I don't want to be a software developer. I want to work with people. I find it, e you know, people around me, I'm happy, uh, for instance. So go work in a restaurant and then come back home in the end of the week. It's like, what was good about it? What, what kind of people do I like work with, working with? What kind of activity? Is it in front of the customer or is it actually back in the, you know, operating and managing or organizing and say, oh, I, 
the people are a little annoying. I like the organization part. I like the process part. So it's like, oh, I'm a process person. I want to optimize processes. Where can I optimize processes? Oh, there's an opportunity there. Working in this, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, manufacturing facility of my uncle or whatever. So you can think about it falling onto your lap, but it's not really. If you are leaning forward and you are explicitly thinking and introspecting about the things and separating the things that are good and always optimizing for the things that you find meaning in, you'll be like a Steve Jobs. A Steve Jobs, if you really see the history, it's like, I don't know what I want. Lithography, this computer thing is interesting. Let's try it. And, and you actually, there's another thing that I've learned in the Silicon Valley called bias to action, which is don't get stuck in your head. When you have a question you don't know how to answer, you need to act because mm -hmm. you'll, you'll find that sometimes you're asking the wrong questions. So being a happy, fulfilled person and having a fulfilling career is a challenge and an achievement. It's not easy to figure it out. I would say don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to anyone. Listen to yourself and develop the muscle, the kind of mental muscle of figuring out what you find meaning in. Yeah. Some of the things will always remain hobbies and they should be hobbies. Like I love music and I'm a really good drummer, but nobody will pay me good money to, to play the drums. So I do it as a hobby. I love racing cars. You know, nobody pays me. I pay them. But uh, I found out they're really good in managing people, they're really good in strategy, really good in, you know, product development and product market fit. And I'm really good on stage. And so people pay me to, to speak. It's a really good question. And I think it's very important, especially for young people. Yeah. Don't think about it as, oh, whim, whimsical passion or let's do what's right. No, both yeah. are wrong. This one will lead you to fall off your, you know, hit a wall and get a reality check. This one will lead you to a midlife crisis. Yeah. And so the path is be very curious about yourself. You are the person that you, your job is to make happy. So you need to know your nature. Why did I react to this? And by the way, your interests evolve so fast because you learn things. And of course, you know, the, the biggest quadrant is the things you don't know you don't know. Um, so that's a long answer because uh, I, I really think it's a very important question. I, I love the response because what it calls for is to keep introspecting in terms of what did I learn, what gave me happiness at the end of the day in doing a piece of work, right? And why did I get involved so much with doing that piece of work uh, in the first place? Actually, word happiness, I would put it aside because happiness is a big word. So if you find yourself losing time doing something, if you, you see that you're, you know, wake up in the morning and you can't wait to start something, those are the indicators that I'm doing something that I find meaning in. Can I think about something that has more meaning? Yes, of course, right? But it's always an optimization process where you're leading with what you know resonates with you. So what did you love as a kid is, is a good indicator. What do you lose time doing? You know, the kind of environments you like, the kind of activities you like, what do you do for, when you have free time? All of those are good indicators of what could be. And I, I don't like, you know, things, things falling on my lap. I like to bring them to my lap, right, in a way. So I think this SAT prep was something I knew I, I liked because I, I like being in the center of attention and speaking to people. As you can see, I speak a lot. But, <laughs> but uh, I, that's why I succeeded in being an SAT prep tutor and uh, then running a business of that sort. So, yeah, leading with, with interest, leading with passion. That's where, by the way, people will pay you a lot of money to do what you love because you're going to be good at it because nobody needs to motivate you. You're self-motivated to do that. Versus, oh, I'm an MD, never wanted to be an MD, but it's really prestigious. I'm making a lot of money, but mm, life is so-so. Uh, yeah. You know, th there's a running joke that says that if you're, if you're born in India, you're born an engineer or a doctor, um, right? So well, well, it's the same exact joke in Israel, so I don't think it's <laughs> India. <laughs> the, right. Jewish, the famous Jewish mother. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but you know, another thing that I really liked about your answer is, and I've actually learned this only throughout the course of my career. I didn't, you know, think about this in the beginning. Um, I've learned that a, a career or a job or the path that you take towards that is something that's very personal to each person. 
um, uh, even if you do go for advice to people that uh, have had uh, better careers or things like that, I think their journeys are something that you can learn from, but you have to chart your own. It's definitely very personal and it also depends on um, on your circumstance in life. That comes from introspection as well. Um, I find myself like every time I go to work and I come back home, I find myself thinking about the conversations that I've had at work. Oh, maybe I could have said this better. Like I have the very bad habit of being very direct rather than trying to like, you know, um, uh, go back a little bit on my answers and put it in a better way. So I'm, I've been learning that uh, that as well. And that also comes for me from introspection that, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said this this way. There is a better way to say it. So it doesn't like, you know, come off so direct. Um, yeah. I, I want to say a couple of things, Andini, if, if possible, about some yeah. of the things you said, because you said you glanced over a couple of things. Well, first, learning from people. Yeah. I would say learn principles. Don't learn, don't take the content. Yeah. I mean, they nobody knows who you are as you know who you are. Um, the worst decisions I've made in my life, and there were horrible decisions that I've made, oh, not you know, not joining a business or not starting a business because I asked the que- the, the wrong questions. Like, do you think it's right for me? Uh, instead of like, what worked for you, and how did you think about it, and trying to derive the principle of how they optimized for it, which of course you, you can learn from other people. Another thing is about being yourself. Yeah. I am direct as well. And yeah. that's who I am. So, and if you're in an environment that doesn't appreciate directness, you have two options. One is to change yourself, or the other one is to change the environment. Yeah. The principle I use, use, use is there are things I'm not willing to compromise on. This is who I am. I say what I think. I think. So this is why I don't thrive in politi- highly political environments. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, say the right thing and don't say it. it's like, no, I'm going to say whatever I think. If you, you know, don't like it, it's fine. And I and I suffered in some of the instances. I I, I used to work as, in a big company. I was a VP in a twenty thousand people company, and there was a lot of politics. And I was a director, and I said, yeah, but who cares? That's the right thing for the customer. That's what we're going to do. It's like, eh, but it's not nice to. And so I never played politics. Yeah. So either I'm going to change myself or I'm going to change my environment, which is what I did. So. There are things where you say, no, that's me. That's what I believe in and I'm not going to change myself. So that's another thing to pay attention to. Yeah, I agree. For me, it's been more of like a, you know, result oriented thing. Like if I had said this in a better way, I would have gotten better results kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and also to me personally, like like you said, if the environment doesn't appreciate who you are, we should definitely walk away. For me, it was about making the environment slightly better to who I am. So I can adapt it to to the way that I work. But yeah, in my experience, the way I've looked at it is the moment I start thinking about the outcome, I start losing my core identity. And the moment I stop thinking about the outcome and I just say stuff or do stuff that is near and dear to me, then it gives me internal happiness at the end. Like even if the outcome were to go down south, I'm I'm like, okay, it gave me satisfaction that I did what I did. And I learned what not to do and what to do. Yeah, but you want to optimize for both in the sense that, you know, uh, the world is causal. If you want to get an effect, you need to, you know, yeah. uh, have the right causes and you want good outcomes. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a it's almost like a harmony between this is who I am. That's the kind of output. I, I the, Sorry, the kind of input that I like. You know, this is who I am. That's how I act. Those are the things I find meaning in. And then you also need to look uh, at the outputs and if, is it working? Is, you know, am I being appreciated? Are we finishing the project? Are we, is the product out? All of those questions you need to ask yourself. Now, if you say, think there is a inconsistency there, right? It's not aligning. It's like I'm putting the inputs, but I don't get the right outputs. You need to really think about what's going on. Not just saying, okay, I've done my, you know, thing. Now I'm, I'm good. I'm happy uh, because you want to have achievement. Yeah. Uh, Ayn Rand, the philosopher that, uh, uh, you know, I'm heading the institute with her name on, on it, yeah. uh, the philosopher and author, um, had a definition for happiness. She said, happiness is a state of consciousness which proceeds from the achievements of one's values. And I would say she would agree that it's a prolonged state of consciousness. It's kind of a strategic yeah. view. And it is a result of a process of achieving your rational values. By rational, she means you live here in, on earth. 
It's not somewhere else, like in your imaginary world. It means I need to find something meaningful that I want to do that actually works in reality because I'm part of reality and I'm the same principles of cause and effect that, you know, are part of reality have to have to do with me as well. So I need to abide to them. So it's a really a harmonic view of I am here. I understand my nature. I understand the nature of things and the nature of causality. I need to take that all into consideration and make everything work. Think about, again, Steve Jobs, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, the people that we all know. It's, it's not or. It's and, 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 and. So yeah. it's what they love and they're successful and customers, you know, buy. And it's so that's what I would try to optimize for. The results and the inputs and the joy and the money and everything. Uh, yeah. All together, um, there's a beautiful uh, chapter in uh, Built to Last, uh, a great book called, I think it's The Tyranny of the Or versus something of the end, um, because people think of this or that. It's like, no, you can have both, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually, I agree. If you try to optimize for both, I don't think you should kind of leave one behind uh, mm -hmm. at the very beginning. You should try to optimize for both so that, you know, you can like you know reach for the stars so you can land on the moon kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. so we can, we can do amazing things if we just pay attention to how we're doing and how this the project doing and you know because if you see a contradiction between i'm doing really well but the project is not or the project's doing great but i'm not doing well, something's wrong you know? staying at the subject and i have a lot of youngsters who are getting into the industry or who are graduating college ask me this like i don't know what i'm good at I know I'm good overall, but I don't know what is my calling and I don't know which way the wind is going to blow and which way am I going to get speared into. If someone were to ask you that question, what would your response be? I would say change your concepts because if you use concepts like uh, what I'm good at, what is the standard of good? My calling, who's calling you, right? <laughs> Um, if you use vague concepts, you'll get vague answers. Yeah. Uh, what I love about uh, philosophy is that it, it, or specifically, there's a field in, in, in philosophy called epistemology, where you learn how to use concepts. Concepts are your tools of cognition. Yeah. It's like you're a carpenter and you got a saw, right? And you, you, you need to saw something. Either the blade is really sharp and it's very easy to saw through the wood or not. And concepts are our tools of dealing with reality. So either you have clear concepts. Now, let's, let's think about the nature of the problem. You're graduating from school and you're trying to succeed. What is the success? What is it about? I would say, if you think about it, it the, the ultimate answer, I want to be happy, which begs the question, what is happiness? Happiness, you know, you can learn a decade and, and get to hopefully get the same answer, which is like, you really need to define what is meaningful to you, which we call values, and then pursue them effectively. By the way, if you keep failing, you won't be happy. It's the question, and I like to pose this in a, in a series of questions. Who am I? Because you're trying to make yourself happy, not somebody else. And I think that's one of the mistakes we, we think about. Oh, I'm going to make the world a better place. No, you are here to make you the happiest. Okay. Steve yeah. Jobs did not create the iPhone or the baker is not baking the bread to make everybody happy. No, he wants to feed his family. He wants to create his own, something in his own vision, right? So first, who am I? Two is what do I love? Which is really understanding you're going to be successful if you choose things that really mean something to you. And then what do I want? Which is a subset of the things you love. I want this. So now it becomes, you know, we add the time dimension. Now that you know what you want, go and ask yourself, how do I get it? And then you make a plan or go to, you know, if you want a job in Boston Dynamics. I love robots, right? Because uh, I help someone get a, a you know, uh, so it reminds you a story. You like robots? How can you get into Boston Dynamics? Who do you know? Go to LinkedIn, you know, see who's connected to who. And now you know you can make a plan on how to get it. Yeah. There's another question, which is what's stopping you? And then maybe if you want later, we can talk about the role of emotions. Because emotions play a big role in our experience and we need to know what they are. And then you can ask yourself, how's it going? Because people forget they're so successful, by the way, according to their own standards, and they're still not happy. 
because they don't take the time to understand that what they're living in right now, you and I are now talking on a podcast on a Friday. Are we happy? Yes, I am, because that's what I want to do. I would rather do other things. No, this is really great. One of the best things I can use my time doing, right? Talking uh, an interesting discussion. So I'm appreciative. So because you can ask, what's the point? The point is that it's, it's like this process. It's really the journey of expressing yourself as a human being. So I would answer this kid who is graduating right now. It's like, first, there's no calling. I would translate that to it's like, what do you find meaning in? What's in front of me, there's a whiteboard in front of me in my office, and it has what I call my value galaxy. Yeah. It's a galaxy of all the things that I find meaning in in life. And then I organize it by categories of things that are creative, have creative nature, relationships, hobbies, rejuvenation, health related, and wealth creation, which is, by the way, a category that actually feeds the other values, allowing me to buy the time because, you know, everybody say time is money. Um, Ayn Rand said the opposite. Money is time. Money is time. You don't work for money. You work for time, right? So what I need is the money to buy me the time to do the things, more of the things I love. Again, long, long answer to a very important question because... Again, going to this max F life, we're all engineers, so we understand, equals my parenthesis happiness. So it's my happiness, and I need to figure out how to maximize H. Uh, So (laughs) that's that's a multiple equation here. Yeah. Because one thing that stood up in your answer, right, is sometimes we forget to ask ourselves, how are you doing? How is it going when you are... you are amidst the chaos because, and that happens to me, like when I'm doing something and when I take a step back and I'm like, okay, let me look at how am I doing and what have I done and what are the accomplishments that I've done? And then you get happiness because you're like, okay, I was able to do all of this with the time that I invested and that's eventually giving me happiness mm-hmm. and incremental success to you could be something different for someone else. So I can offer you a, uh... Dan Sullivan wrote a little book called The Gain and the Gap. Oh. Uh, you know, so at any given point in time, when you stop and you say, what am I doing? How is it going? Like you're in the middle of climbing a mountain, right? Yeah. Uh, people usually look forward. It's like, oh, wow, the peak is so far. And uh, <laughs> you're looking at the gap. It's like, oh, I'm not making progress. Oh, I'm not happy and so on and so forth. Rather, if you really have a bird's eye view and say, wait a second, how did I get here? I'm like in the middle of, uh, the Kilimanjaro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's amazing because a year ago I was down there. Yeah. And if you project forward a year, uh, I'm going to be, by the way, when you get to the peak, you're going to see another peak Yeah. that you never saw before. So yeah. it's a journey. So it's really understanding the gain is what you need to look at. When we, we say have an optimistic view of life, right? I don't think like, a, you know, crazy uh, uh, disillusioned view of life. No, it's you've made a lot of progress. You know, yeah. you're doing something meaningful. You know way that you knew yesterday. And if you project it forward, you're going to be, no, you don't know everything. There's a gap between where you are and where you want to be. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, be very careful what kind of peak you're climbing, yeah. right? If it's, I want to make a million dollars, very bad peak to follow because it's not, has nothing to do with passion. Yeah. It tells me you're, you're, you're going after the wrong thing and you're not, and it's going to be a drudgery because people who make a million then say, yeah, but I want 10 million. And then their whole life is a chase of, for nothing. So see the gain, not just focus on the gap and uh, appreciate that, that life is a journey. And yes, you need to stop and reflect. Um, if you see all the very successful people are highly reflective people. You yeah. ask them who, how they're doing, they have a long answer. It's like this is going, you know, Steve Jobs in his biography talks about how it took seven years to find the perfect couch for his living room because he was so bothered with the question, what kind of couch do I want? What is the perfect couch? You know, what beautiful, you know, so introspective, so thoughtful. And I that's, took four, by the way. What? <laughs> I took four years to find the perfect couch. <laughs> yeah, well, you're faster than Steve Jobs, so it's good. There are a couple of things in your answer that I want to uh, talk about in this next question, right? First, you spoke about concepts, right? Um, And second, you spoke about emotions, right? Both of these things, I feel like, play a very huge role um, when it comes to people management. And 
who better to ask about people management. You know, I feel like when it comes to people management and when it comes to concepts, right, um, you got to be very clear with the concept yourself before you try to translate it to people. But most of the time there's ambiguity given to you as well, because now you're taking on a new project. You don't know where it's heading. It's coming from your superiors. So there's, you have to translate that somehow into a concept that a team can work on. So that's one thing. Second thing is emotions, right? There are people with a lot of emotions on the team. Every person is an individual by themselves, but now you're put in charge of managing this project and essentially managing these emotions to get the best out of them, right? So how would you say you would go about that? Um, and how, like for someone who's just stepping into the role of a manager, um, how would you tackle both of these issues? It's, it's, it's great that you've co connected those uh, concepts together, management and understanding concepts and emotions, because it goes, uh, again, very deep. Because I'm, I'm in philosophy right now, I, I take everything down to the bottom, if you will. You know, when you're managing people, you're managing people. And so what is a person? It's an organism, a conceptual one. That's why, we, you know, we're very special as humans. And we abstract reality with the power of our words, of our concepts. That's the means of survival of a human being. We're not an elephant. We're not a tiger. We're not a squirrel, right? Yeah. We are humans. And the way we uh, live, because if you drop us as babies in the forest, we'll die. Yeah. Because we haven't developed our means of survival, which is conceptual. So you can, I can imagine building a shelter. I can imagine building a net and catching fish, right? And then I can act on it. So this is the nature of human beings. Now I know that I'm managing people. Part of managing people is understanding that people, uh, what they want after you met their physical needs, right? The kind of the Maslow hierarchy, they are pursuing values. They want to see themselves effective and efficacious in pursuing things that they find meaning in. So the first thing is, the, who do you hire? You hire the people that find meaning in what you do. When I interview someone, I really don't care about their resume. It's like, why are you here? What's interesting about this job to you? Have, how much have you learned about this company and what, we, we're, what we're about? It's like, hey, I'm here because I want to make money. It's like, I don't want to work with you. Uh, I want to work with passionate people who find what we do. You know, we've built the first mobile CRM, Customer Relationship Management System. I wanted developers that really, wow, we're going to make all of this mobile and people can be on the go talking to their customers and so on. That's the kind of person I want to work. So first, the value. And the third aspect that you talked about is emotion. So yeah. you're managing different personalities. Yeah. And if you, as a manager, understand that your job is to provide the perfect environment for people to thrive in, because they're going to do the work, not you. You're going to set the strategy. You're going to set this is the direction we need to go. But they're the ones rowing the boat. Yeah. Right. So first set the, the be very clear with your concepts. As you said, we're going this way and yeah. that's what success looks like. And you try to concretize it. It's like that's what it's going to be like if the customer does this and that and feels this way, we have succeeded. And everybody. Yes. Now we see it. We're all rowing in the same direction. Yeah. And secondly, giving them the, the environment, the emotional environment of, yes, I'm going to put you in the right position. I'm not going to put you in a position where, that, that you don't like uh, if you don't work well with a manager, I'm going to move you. Move you. I actually think that, think that organizational uh, structures should yeah. serve the employees, not the other way around. Yeah. This, is, um, this is why I'm very flexible with it. Like this person doesn't work well with this person. I'm going to take that person, maybe create a sub team that for a time reports to me and then I'll find another manager. You know, so I continuously move things around because I, the things that I uh, care most about is, you know, how happy people are because happy people do amazing work. And yeah. there's a saying in the Silicon Valley, if you work with A players, yeah. you know, you'll get more A players. If you work with B players, they'll bring C and D players. Yeah. And so A players, it does not mean they're, they're like a subset of people in the world that are A players. Yeah. It's people who could be in other places, D players, but if yeah. you give them the right environment and they're working on something they find meaning in, they'll be A players, yeah. right? So uh, that's the way I think about managing people. People yeah, are because a compl you, complicated thing. <laughs> because when you put like-minded people and driven people in a team, right? Like someone 
everyone's going to be driven and everyone is striving to get the get the ball moving or steer the project in the right direction and i think it eventually comes down to your previous answer like okay why am i spending the time in the day to research about the company that i'm going to interview for because i find meaning in what that company does and somewhere i'm resonating with their values and mission and whatever exactly and another aspect of management is inspiration why are we going to movies why are we reading books why uh, why we do, we look at you know heroes because we need inspiration that's a fuel for the human soul because the human soul is conceptual by nature so we need to see what's possible you know michelangelo's david shows me what's possible hero heroism or james bond or um, i don't know steve jobs right and so those are the people who show so your job as a manager is to build an inspiring vision if you will to say that is the world that i want to create are you with me and that's a vision layer then from that you create a mission in order to achieve that vision let's do this right that's what we're going to be good at doing so we're going to create the you know, the best mobile crm so sales people can be on on the go without needing to go back to their laptop on a friday and type everything they already have in their notebook right yeah. um so that's the world we want to create so we're going to be able to create the best most effective high performance mobile crm application yeah. uh, which is what we did and then from a mission you create a strategy from a strategy a plan a tactical plan and everybody understands you know we're walking up this mountain and we love this mountain this is something we want to uh we want to conquer right so uh, th- those are the basics and i would say there's an, a full alignment between the philosophical aspects we talked about concepts emotions things like that yeah. and management because it's actually serving humans yeah. that's what we're what we're doing we're organizing humans Yeah and I also like the part in your answer where you said having people in a team that want to work for the organization rather than having people in a team that need to work for an organization I think I think people who want to work for for an organization or even for a manager for that that matter right like if I want to you know work for the person that I'm reporting to um to help them achieve what they want to do and in and in return that gives me um satisfaction as to achieving my own goals that i think that will get me further or get the organization further even in their goals so. there, there's a very uh, controversial concept called egoism it's loaded or selfishness it's very yeah. loaded because i think it's a package deal as ayn rand called it it's a package deal one of the way to confuse people is to give them words that mean more than one thing so mm-hmm. when i say i'm selfish i i mean two things one is i care for myself which we all do Yeah. If you brush your teeth this morning, if you got dressed up, right, you care for yourself. Yeah. Good for you. On the other hand, it's combined with I don't care for other people, which is something yeah. completely different. Yeah. They they're not interdependent, right? You can be caring for yourself and caring for other people or you can be caring for yourself and not caring for other people in a irrational way. I would say my epiphany was that everybody's selfish. Yeah. Everyone everyone wants to make more money everyone wants to be more successful everyone wants to be promoted some of them by the way not everybody everybody wants to do work that is meaningful to them and if you think about it rationally there's no contradiction between people between companies and people it's all trying to create value for everyone yeah um so if you take that approach where you appreciate that everybody wants to be better so i'll give you an extreme example Let's say I think that someone is underperforming and I need to let them go. The approach could be like you're not good, you know, I'm letting you go. That is not in my mind a human way to look at it. And let's say the name is Joe. Okay, hi Joe. You've been working here for 2 years. Yeah. And we thought both of us when I got you to the job that you're going to succeed here and you know be very fulfilled being a software developer. Yeah. But it seems like we need a front end developer and you like the back end and we don't need back end development we need front end development so you're not thriving and this is why you're not getting along and you're frustrated i don't think you should work here not because you know you're underperforming it's because i if i was in your shoes i would want to work in a place that appreciates who i am now you're i guess a great back end developer actually front end developer who wants to go more into the back end and we're not giving you that opportunity yeah So I think you should leave. <laughs> and yeah. they, you know if you approach this it's like I think you're right. I think you're right. I've been I've been spending too much time here. I'm not enjoying myself. 
and, and so on. And I'm not being appreciated. I was like, yeah, you're not being appreciated because you're not doing what we need. But it doesn't say anything about who you are and how great you can be. Yeah. By the way, I have another friend who's, who needs a back-end developer. I, you know, I'll recommend you. So when I have that, I never had a problem letting someone go because I always think about it from their perspective. They need to be selfish. They need to be happy. And there's no contradiction between me and them. We're just trying to make all of ourselves happier. And yeah. if, if I can, you know, let's give someone the environment they need to thrive, they need to move somewhere else. I feel like Karthik and I are, we're already thinking about it while you're talking. Like so many questions are coming up in, in my mind and I can see yeah, him because, thinking about it with his head down. As well. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> the way I'm thinking about it is when I have someone who isn't enjoying working on something, I the first thing I do is I look at him and I'm like, okay, he's maybe not enjoying doing backend stuff. But here is an application for front-end that I could potentially leverage a skill set. But the first question I ask him is, hey, how interested are you in learning something new? I'm not going to judge you for the first six months to a year. Let me get you proficient. And then I'll expect delivery out of you. It comes back to the environment, right? Like if you give them a judgment-free psychological safety environment for someone to thrive in, they, they thrive nine out of 10 times because like okay no one's judging me i'm here the manager believes in me and i know that when he succeeds he's going to take me along the journey and i'm going to succeed with him that's that's a good point that you bring up kartik that i think we should talk uh, about here um you know psychological safety is getting a lot of attention these days at least um i'm i'm looking at it on linkedin there are a lot of hashtags that people are using for it i guess I, i'm going to ask a question regarding psychological safety right um you mentioned happiness and you mentioned career and you mentioned psychological safety i think all of this you know translates into one at some point but uh, i'm going to take this from a you know people management standpoint because we're we're at we're in that topic, right? We spoke about emotions and we spoke about concepts and how do you think one can achieve psychological safety with their team, given that they're going to be dealing with multiple emotions and people with different personalities? That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> let, let's define our terms again. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm being very philosophical with you because we want to be very precise, yeah. right? Yeah. If you look at a child, right? The baby, they need psychological safety. They need a, a, you know, a physical, physical safety. Uh, yeah. Kids that are born into non-safe environments really develop a lot of trauma and issues they have to deal with and it evolves into behaviors and things like that. So let's all appreciate that as human beings, we need a level of predictability yeah. and a level of, uh, I don't know what we call exactly safety, but it's mostly predictability of, I know what I'm going to get. It's not like somebody's going to slap me in the face out of nowhere and I feel completely, um, I need to be alert all the time. That's, for me, that's not safe, right? Yeah. Emotionally safe. So first you wanna create an environment where, that is predictable. Yeah. It's like nothing's gonna surprise you uh, in a way that like all of your, because if, when you put your, your hand on a hot stove, you cannot control the instinct of saying, oh wow, that was so hot. And that is your subconscious mind, which is like an animal trying to protect you. And that's why we need safety in, or predictability because the subconscious mind is like an animal. And yeah. I don't know if you ever see your dog going to a new house or your cat. They're like, you know, so terrified because something is, is not predictable. So we are a little bit like that. On the other hand, we're not animals. So I think that if you're optimizing for full predictability and safety, life, your life is going to be boring. We need that fundamental safety. If you, I would, I would really actually use the word predictability of like, I know what's going to happen. Nobody's going to surprise. The, the principles are not going to change on me on a daily basis. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm going to push, push myself outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. And I'm going to learn new things and I'm going to try and fail, which is fine. You know, babies love to fail. They try yeah. to walk and then they stumble and try again and stuff. Yeah. So they like that, you know, of course you put them in a safe environment, but they like failing because this is how they learn. So it's a, a nuanced approach of, of not being in a psychological, because this is boring. I don't want to be in a completely predictable env environment. So I, I think, again, we have to use very clear terms yeah. of a lot of predictability, but on the other hand, a lot of uncomfort, uncomfort uh, yeah. in the sense of I want to push myself to be, you know, just look at yourself. You know, I exercise a lot these days. 
Yeah. I take my body to places that are really uncomfortable because I want yeah. the muscle to grow or I want to do something. It's the same on a mental level. It's like, wow, I don't know how to solve this problem. What do I need to do? The human aspect of us is very different than the anim animalistic. We're trying to almost elevate ourselves by, again, but acknowledging the characteristics that we have as human beings with, you know, with this body that has instincts and emotions. And I, I just want us to be a little bit more accurate and precise yeah. because I don't like the, oh, I just need a safe environment, those safe places. Yeah. And it's like, th this is, for me, this is uh, completely boring to be in a fully so, environment. So does that definition of safety, is that personable to someone? Meaning like, does it vary from one individual to another? Yeah. My definition of safety could be, I need things to be fairly predictable so that I can coast along. Whereas I may want a less predictable environment and more challenging so that that keeps yeah. me going. How risk averse you are. I, there, I know I hear all kinds of, you know, uh, self-help gurus, like everybody should be an entrepreneur or go open your, your company. It's like, no, <laughs> I want to be a librarian. I like reading books and I like order and being in a quiet environment. That person should not be an entrepreneur. So yes, it's very personal. How much risk are you willing to endure? How much lack of predictability? Some people thrive in predictability. They, you know, accountants, they're amazing accountants. They're super passionate about figuring out how to balance everything out. And I love, you know, my accountant is great. She loves what she does. Yeah. Uh, if you put me in an accountant job, I would go crazy in like a week. Um, maybe, by the way, maybe I don't know accounting that, that well to, to judge. But yeah, I, I think you're right. If you want to be creative, though, if you want to learn, you have to push yourself to, again, be in an uncomfortable uh, position of like, I don't know. Uh, so any learning process, regardless of how much risk it involves, there are some people who are crazy about risk. At the minute they get comfortable, they break everything up and they go build something else. Yeah. yeah, it's very personal specific. I think the more and more I'm listening to your answers and the more and more I'm thinking about it, I, I get a hundred different questions and... <laughs> Uh, you know, this podcast could go on forever. You know, before before we ask our last questions that we uh, that we ask our experts, I, I do want to touch on one of the things that you said that derives from this answer, right? Um, one of our experts recently said that, you know, I was given a choice and someone asked me whether if I wanted to be the big fish in the small pond or if I wanted to be the small fish in the big pond, Right putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. And his answer was very interesting. He said, I wanted to be the big fish in the small pond. You know, a lot of people tend to say that I want to keep putting myself in an uncomfortable position. But I feel like this was very, this was a very unique answer because he really knew what he wanted, right? So how do you get to that position? For me, at least I've been asked multiple times, right? In my career, like, you know, we, we have a common friend, Fanny. She's asked me, what do you want to do, right? Like, do you want to do this? Do you want to, she's given me a hundred different options. It's like, I don't know. Like, you know, how do you define that? Uh, oh I yeah. And go to, ahead. to add to that, right? Like sometimes when you have plenty of choices, you end up, at least for me, I end up fumbling because I'm like, oh, every path leads to the, leads to a path which I potentially want to go. I'm confused, but sometimes I have egg on my face because I'm like, I'm not able to commit to a certain path and I'm not having that conviction to commit myself to a path and stick to that. Yeah. So is, is the, again, you're asking very deep questions. Uh, let me ask you, what is better, vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. <laughs> vanilla? Uh, <laughs> th there are some things uh, that are, I would say, I don't like objective versus subjective because subjective is, it has double meaning, but objective is like objectivity. Two and two is four. People act as a species. We act in specific. We all have the same kind of type of body, the type of conceptual faculty. So the principles of what we need to do in order to succeed are the same, but the content, the preference can be completely different. The, the, and I think you're on to the, the, the right answer here, which is the principle is know yourself. Yeah. And Karthik, to your question, well, first, think how amazing it is, it is that you have multiple options, that you all find meaning in. Yeah. But I would argue that if you introspect a lot about what is the nature of the, those things and what is the proof, because we have a lot of hypotheses about ourselves. 
uh, a good friend of mine always says, you have a lot of hypotheses, always assumes that 50% of them are wrong about yourself. Because if you act on them, you'll see, I thought I'd love this, but I don't. First, it's great that you have options and you can contemplate. Second thing, think about and and not or. Doing things with higher value density, where you can take all the things you love and you can think about it and it requires a lot of creativity. So I would say the more self-reflective you are and, and the better you understand what's going on, you'll see that that problem is actually an opportunity. Uh, and yeah, there is the FOMO, you know, fear of missing out on things. And, and that's, that is embedded in the fact that all of us have 24 hours a day yeah. and we have 4,000 <laughs> weeks to live and uh, that's it. You know, yeah. that's uh, unless someone comes up with a great uh, solution to, to solve that. <laughs> and yeah. I know Fanny is working on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe she'll crack it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so um, this was great. I feel like I could keep going on and on. And Can I make a couple of recommendations, by the way? Yeah, sure. Um, sure. Yeah, the couple of books that really changed my life yeah. uh, are novels by Ayn Rand. One is The Fountainhead and the other one is Atlas yeah. Shrugged. Yeah. Uh, those are novels. Yeah. Uh, and they changed my life because it gave me like a, a moral ideal. I yeah. found myself in the middle of my life asking myself, why am I here? Yeah. What else could I do? And she really took me from a, an okay, can't complain life to something I, I think about as my heroic journey. And uh, Path of Least Regret, as you know, by Jeff Bezos. I'm not, I'm living a life that I know I will never regret uh, when yeah. I'm older. Another um, recommendation is to, um, I have a, a website where you can download a full workbook. Yeah. Uh, it's called myhappiness.team, myhappiness.team. And uh, he, there you can download a whole book called uh, Happiness Team. And it's like a series of introspective questions about what do I love? What do I want? All of the things that I presented to you, free of charge, you can download and, and, and work there. And there's some videos that I have there. It's just my passion work and I, I'd love for more people to get exposed to it. Absolutely. Of course, of course. So Great. on to our last question. Our last question that we ask is, how do you define success for yourself? And how would you help other people define success for themselves? How should one define and, success? Yeah. And I want to add on to that. Like, how does one find contempt in both it? For me, the ultimate answer of human success or human thriving is this concept of happiness. Because we don't have the time to dive into what that means, I will limit it into success, let's say, from a productive perspective, a career. Uh, I think the human nature defines that the way we act. I have a, an Australian shepherd here. He's a dog. And I know what, I, what he needs to do. And he knows what he needs to do in order to thrive as a dog according to his nature. Our nature is to create the environment that we thrive in. If you see everything around you, it's man-made. Yeah. It's a product of somebody conceptualizing, visualizing the world, abstracting the world with the power of concepts, and then acting to create this microphone, this computer, this desk, this bottle of water and everything, right? Yeah. This is what we do. Yeah. This is our nature. And if we do it well, we get to a thriving state. So for me, success is a, an achievement of a process that starts with asking yourself, what do I want to create? What do I find meaning in? And then making the plan to go and create that value in this capacity or another doesn't matter if you're starting your career or you're very you know, an expert. It doesn't matter. The, the world unfolds of how much value you can create. Success to me is this uh, overall strategic view of your life where you say it's going well. I'm yeah. living well as myself. It's my life. I know who I am and I'm choosing my path. For me, if you can say that about yourself, then you, you have succeeded. I can't think of a better answer <laughs> to that question. Uh, that's, that's amazing. You know, one other thing that we wanted to, that I want to mention is I, I've had so many revelations just talking to you for the two times that I've spoken to you, uh, in terms of how to think. Right. Um, and one more thing that I want to mention is Karthik and I are going to be attending Ocon later on this year. Um, it's, it's a conference that the Ayn Rand Institute actually hosts. So I encourage all our audience to look it up as well. Um, you guys should attend. I've been told that it's going to change my life. And I'm very curious, uh, especially after talking to Tal for two times, 
uh, that it's it's already changed the way that I'm thinking, just talking to him. And I feel like the conference is really going to do a lot more. So, yeah, um, it's, uh, it, it changed my when The first time I went to that conference in 2012, uh, I literally thought I'm the only person who's now, you know, so excited about Ayn Rand's ideas. I started to, her, to read her nonfiction about philosophy. And Karthik, you said you like philosophy. She has amazing nonfiction books. So the first part of her life, she wrote fiction. The latter part of her life, she wrote nonfiction, like, you know, um, books about ethics, about epistemology, about politics, everything. And it's so rich. And when I met more people that are like me, that love abstract ideas and the, the real big questions of life. I, I was, I, first I met a lot of friends, but I learned so much about how to think about questions the right way. The people are super intelligent and super philosophical. The, you know, people talk into the night, every night, uh, and they're great social events. And uh, I, yeah, I just love it. I, since I went the first time, I try to go every year. Yeah. And if you're a student, by the way, there are a lot of scholarships, so you can apply to a scholarship if you want to. So thank you very much, Tal. This was a this was a great talk, and we would love to have you back on to do a small series as well. At some point, we'll talk about the um, logistics of that. But this was a great interview. I think it's it's gonna. I'm just thinking about everything you said. Uh, I can already think about a few of my friends who would love to listen to this. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. I learned Thank so much. Thank you very much. Uh, it was Thank a, you so a, much, The questions were great, and I'd love to come back. And because we really scratched the surface on a couple yeah. of things, and uh, yeah, I wish. You know, I always say I wish somebody talked to me about those things when I was 18, 20, 25. <laughs> yeah, it's world knowledge that can save you a lot of time and. Uh, for uh, sure. For sure. You. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you.